electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, long-awaited crypto regulation on the Hill. Details of the proposed bipartisan framework from one of its architects, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. When we met with industry leaders, they basically said, we just need to know what the rules of the road are. Target warning investors of a rough quarter ahead, the miscalculations that got them here, and how long the stock will suffer with retail watcher Jan Niffen. They didn't raise prices enough in the first quarter on all the items that were really selling, so they got hurt. Those stories plus the SEC has groundbreaking plans for the stock market, Apple has big changes for all iUsers, and you know it, we've got the TikTok of Elon Musk's bid for Twitter. So what's the worst that happened? He, so he gets out of it and it's a billion dollars or something. No, the worst the worst is he pays $44 billion for the house that he doesn't want. It's Tuesday, June 7th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, two, three. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew? Thanks, Becky. Let's talk a little Apple, though, this morning, because they kicked off their annual Worldwide Developers Conference by debuting their next-generation mobile software. Among the highlights, a new lock screen, a buy-now-pay-later service through Apple Pay that's getting a lot of attention this morning, and the ability to delete or edit texts that have already been sent. I like that feature. Apple announced it'll also be adding two new laptops that run on its new M2 chips. The company says... The new chip will be 18% faster than the previous generation M1 chip. First devices to get it will be the most popular Apple laptops. Those include Apple's uh, MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro. And probably the best thing, I don't know if you guys saw this, is you can finally use your phone, which has an awesome camera, as you know, as your webcam. So these, these laptops, which have terrible webcams, now you can actually take your phone and it will automatically... Just register. It'll know that your phone is wants to be the camera, and boom. And not only that, guys, it'll look at you, but can also look down at the at the at the table. So if you wanted to like sketch something or show a piece of paper or do a, a card trick, frankly, you it would look at both of you at the same time, and it would it's pretty awesome. Having said that, where was the AR? Right? No, no a mixed reality. VR, AR, anything like that. So I'm still caught up on the on the edit. There. I'm still caught up on the edit function, Andrew. I, like, you know, the edit function that you're allowed in Microsoft Windows. I've never seen anybody successfully recall a message with without people have already having read it and seeing what's going on with it. The idea to be able to later edit your text, that's pretty interesting. I wonder how accurate it's going to be if it actually lets you change these things. I mean, I, I just don't oh, no. entirely understand. Is, so what happens is you have 15 minutes to do it. On the text, you have 15 minutes to do it. And I believe it would show behind the text if you wanted to go and actually look, you'd see the the, the edited version. Ah, so, that was my question. Like, can you erase any history of what stupid thing you sent That I don't about? know. 
They also have now a um, an undo send on the email function that they added yesterday as well. But that's really actually, I think, closer to like a 15 second delay of the send. So it's not actually undoing the send. It's just giving you a little bit of a, a pause before you send so that when you when you rethink it, you did you really want to send that right? The stuff that gets most messed up is is the what's misinterpreted by if you dictate. I dictate. Oh, I try and dictate all the issue. time. Yeah. It's like, why don't you fix that? It's because I send stuff and people they're nonsensical. Like the words that come out. It's like, in what Joe, universe can, I, would I, someone say I that? I have something for you. It, so you yeah. use Siri for that. You got to stop using Siri for that. If you use Google for that, which you can do on your Apple it's phone, better. Miles. That I and I, well, I you know, you know my adoration for Tim Cook and Apple, but with apologies, the Google folks have figured that one out. They have. Okay, uh, th these are small uh, changes here. No nothing you said has really got me that excited. You know, has got me that excited about the big Apple. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't wear a cool turtleneck to introduce this stuff, would you? A black. Uh, I mean, this is I just. I thought a, it was all pretty cool. I I got to tell you, when you saw. When you saw this camera that you could put on top of your laptop, which was, was sort of a kludgy thing that Apple I can't imagine do, I would ever do that. What would I ever do that for? When would I have a laptop and a phone next to I guess I don't know. I'm just do I'm you back work? to the. I mean, how often have you ever done <laughs> been on a Zoom call? It'll, I don't like how, those Zoom either. Call, right. You're on TV right now. And so you have lighting, kind of. cameras, cable. and all sorts cable of stuff. Cable with a ticker. I, I don't, there's a TV. It's cable with a, a business news. It's not TV. Zoom. Though. Everybody at home on Zoom is trying to make it look as good as they can. And by the way, this camera can adjust even the way the lighting is. It almost looks as if you have lighting. Okay, that's an improvement. I, w I would definitely sign up for that. The other thing that I think is so interesting is just the services that they continue to roll out, including this you know, buy now, pay later service. You saw firm shares were down like five and a half percent when they rolled this out because of the competition that it's going to bring to bear. And that has been Tim Cook's genius, kind of the stealth addition of more and more services that make this part of your life, that get into every aspect of your life, that put you in the ecosystem of Apple that you are never getting out of and crushing com competition. I mean, that everything they roll into, they bring all of their people along for it. And, and that, is, that has been the genius of Tim Cook, of what he has built up with services. That helps, but, but, but nothing really blew you away. Well, it did blow you away, okay. Uh, the camera thing, the camera thing I, more because I could see the future of it even better. I mean, I thought what they did was pretty spectacular, but I could see, I said to myself, okay, two years from now, all, everybody who has like a ring light in their home, you would never need that again, because the camera is gonna be able to do a lot of this work for you. That would be nice. All right, but nothing, any new content uh, come out? That's different. Uh, Severance, second no. season or something, no? <laughs> that was not yesterday's. I need, I need to, you know, I need some content. God, I, I've been watching stuff that, I mean, I wouldn't have watched this five years ago if it was like the last thing uh, on, on uh, Some of these documentaries are so poorly done on Netflix. And I'm, I'm mad at Netflix, I really am. I think they've thrown so much crap up against the wall and, and nothing has stuck for me lately. You got anything? What do you got for me, Sork? What do you got for me? Got anything? The, stair got nothing. the staircase, the staircase on I HBO. I saw that, I don't like that guy. He's guilty as sin. I don't like that, I've seen it. I cannot believe we're watching that guy. Did you, st that guy is the worst. Don't, do you have any doubt? She, it was, she fell one step and it looked like a slaughterhouse. How does that, there's no, huh? And he's free. I'm on episode he's free. seven. I, he's I free. I know what happens. Counselor, I don't want approach the bench. <laughs>
He's so free. well done, though. So well done. Oh, my God, that guy. I, 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 oh, okay, let's move on. You know what the latest thing was? He, she got attacked by a freaking owl on her steps. That's, the, that's his explanation now, Sorkin. Uh, some type of... I know. Um, I'm watching, by, I know. A bird of prey? Yeah, a bird of prey. Swooping in, uh, in very Hitchcockian. While he's out at the pool, uh, we're talking about Elon Musk. Don't ruin it for the folks at home. It's been on for Too like late. five years. The owl did not do it. Yes, let's move on to Twitter. Another day, another development in Elon Musk's bid. Today's update: the deal's on hold. Still, Musk is now accusing the company of breaching the merger agreement by not providing data that he requested on spam and fake accounts. Now, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is getting involved. He's opening an investigation into the number of bots on the platform and whether Twitter's reporting of the information has been misleading under Texas law. Is this just so crazy that we're in this sort of very strange world where States that historically were out of everybody's business now are in people's business. It's like the op- it's politics like are local. upside down. Everything. All politics are local. They are. And, and business That's true. does make the world go round in your state. I mean, yeah, that, I, I know, but that, like a billionaire overbid for something, got himself in a bad position, and you're going to use the state's office of the attorney general to help him out on something? That- yeah, apparently. Well, do we know, uh, I mean, maybe half of, of Twitter, uh, I know the stuff I get is half of it is useless. doesn't matter. He signed this deal and agreed to no due diligence with that stuff. Yeah, but, but that, then part of it was that they were going to provide. Are they providing? Him info, or are they are they slow walking that? I, I don't I don't think they have to. I mean, he agreed basically to, to sell his house without an inspection, or to buy a house without the inspection. That's so. What's the worst that happened? He, so he gets out of it, and it's a billion dollars or something. He, no, he maybe the worst. Court. The worst is he pays forty four billion dollars for the house that Has he doesn't do want. It. Yeah. Anyway, just the latest in that saga continues, and just about every day there is another a new, a new uh, drip drop for us to follow with that. The SEC is preparing to propose major changes to the way the stock market operates. That's according to an article in The Wall Street Journal that says the SEC staffers have now begun floating plans with market participants in recent weeks. Now, among those ideas floated, some of these are big. They would require brokerages to send most individual investors' orders to be routed into auctions where trading firms compete to execute them. Now, Chair Gary Gensler said he wants to ensure that brokers execute orders at the best possible price for investors, such a plan could disrupt, as you know, the, uh, the, what has been a controversial payment for order flow model that allows wholesalers to pay to route trades to uh, their venue where they can make more money by trading against small investors, or at least that's uh, how some describe it. Defenders of the practice, including trading platform Robin, had argued the system has democratized trading by eliminating fees. So it's going to be very interesting whether we're going to, it may be a one step forward, one step back situation in that Arguably, Joe, you could see uh, you could see maybe marginally better uh, execution, you know, a penny here, a penny there. But at the same time, if I told you that um, a lot of the, the kids out there would have to pay four ninety five or nine ninety five before they even make the trade, would they make the trade at all? And that's the question. I don't know. It, it seems it's pennies. And uh, yeah, but it, it seems like it's uh, you can lose money. So you can lose money in, in much better ways than by getting 
screwed out of a penny or two. Uh, and no, and the this question market is, has shown the us that. The question is the big guys who have been able to, like Citadel with the payment for order flow. The question is the big guys who have been able to leverage it. I, unfortunately, this happened to me. You know, we don't buy stocks. I'm kidding. But I, when I bought Netflix, I could have got it at $700.02, and they charged me $700.04. Um, you know, and now it's 190 Or did they say you have to wait yeah, to exactly. buy it? And, oh, but, by the way. I, okay. I, I mean, let, make it fair. Make it level saved, I understand saved, I understand you a lot of money if they didn't let you buy it they shut it down and not let you buy <laughs> it for which, no, but which I, think I, have, actually, I have CNBC to thank for that <laughs> they, they they didn't allow me to buy any of these things thank God but um, I think what, there's actually a big question about this which is if there are fees for every transaction which is which is what there used to be in the market for the most part and there still exists in some places but you know how that changes the dynamic in terms of whether people trade at all there's fees and there's right. fees. Right? When I used to be a stockbroker in like 1985, we had fees. We had fees. You do a thousand shares and it would be like a $1,400 uh, commission or something. Yes, but that came down uh, not just because of payment for order flow. I mean, no, it came, down from, it came down from competition. From competition. And it's all good. It's all good. So now you are free to lose money your own way. Coming up on Squawk Pod, crypto on Capitol Hill, the proposed overhaul to regulation that would treat digital assets as commodities. The senators behind it, GOP Senator Cynthia Lummis. It should be part of a diversified asset allocation, and it should be on the end of the spectrum of a store of value. And Democrat Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Once a regulatory framework's put around it, there will be more comfort there. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And me, I'm your MC, Cameron Costa. Here's Becky. Two senators, one from each side of the aisle, coming together to push crypto regulations. Elon Moy joins us right now. She's got more on this story. And Elon, we're watching this pretty closely. What can you tell us? Well, Becky, a bipartisan pair of lawmakers is unveiling sweeping new crypto legislation today that aims to foster innovation, provide regulatory clarity, and protect consumers from bad actors. The proposal from GOP Senator Cynthia Lummis and Democrat Kirsten Gillibrand divides digital assets into two buckets. Fully decentralized cryptos like Bitcoin and Ether are defined as commodities, 
and therefore regulated by the CFTC. Securities are overseen by the SEC. But there's also a gray area of so-called ancillary assets. They're not fully decentralized, but don't meet the threshold of being a security. Think of Cardano or Solana. Those are presumed to be commodities, but must file disclosures with the SEC twice a year. Now, the bill also establishes new rules for stable coins, which both the Fed and the White House have asked Congress to weigh in on. The bill requires stable coins to maintain 100% reserves in high-quality liquid assets and to provide regular public disclosures. It also creates a process for banks to issue stable coins and a special charter for other financial institutions to do so as well. I'm told that Lummis and Gillibrand have talked to lawmakers across the spectrum about this proposal, conservatives, progressives, as well as their party leadership. Becky, they say this bill is not bipartisan. It's actually nonpartisan because support, support does not fall neatly into any party lines. Back over to you. It may not fall neatly into party lines, but what are the odds that they can actually build a consensus and get enough to get something passed? Yeah, so it's going to be an uphill battle. What they say is that this is sort of the start of the conversation. Uh, they've reached out to other lawmakers who have weighed in on this in the past. Think about a Pat Toomey with the stablecoin framework. You guys have talked to Josh Gottheimer about his plans, Patrick McHenry. So there are a lot of other lawmakers who have weighed in on sort of bits and pieces of this. They were reaching out to those offices, having conversations with them, and incorporating some of those ideas into this sort of overarching framework because they say there needs to be a clear picture because part of the problem right now is that the regulation of crypto was sort of done piecemeal by different agencies. Uh, there are not clear definitions that work across those regulatory lines, and that's part of what they're trying to achieve with this bill. Alon, thank you. Obviously, this has been something that uh, the markets have been awaiting for a very long time, too. This legislation is called the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, and it comes courtesy of Wyoming Republican Cynthia Lummis and New York Democrat Kirsten Gillibrand. Both senators join us right now, first on Squawk Box, and uh, ladies, welcome. It is great to see both of you because there's so much anticipation about what this could mean. First of all, I'll ask you, Senator Lummis, how this kind of came about that you two are working together and how much support you found from your colleagues on this? Well, we put out early drafts of this bill in uh, December, so it, it's been a long time coming. Uh, and when uh, Senator Gillibrand joined in, her uh, contributions to this bill have been uh, significant and important. We've put out several iterations for comments. We've had multiple uh, meetings with uh, regulators, with the regulated industry, um, and a lot of stakeholders. Um, we wanted to take our time to put the best draft that we could assemble onto the table. We think they're, we're there. Today's the day. Senator Gillibrand, let's break it down for people who haven't seen the details yet. I think the most important part is that it, it declares that, that things like Bitcoin and Ether are commodities, and so they would be regulated by the CFTC. A lot of other things would be considered equities to be regulated by the SEC. How did you come about with kind of deciding this? How much squabbling is there because there has been some interregulatory kind of dispute about who should be able to regulate this between the CFTC and the SEC? The most important goal of this legislation was to create safety and soundness, to create consumer protections, transparency, accountability, and certainty. Uh, when we met with industry um, leaders, they basically said, we just need to know what the rules of the road are. Uh, we've been seeking regulation from various regulators, and the delays in response have been unconscionable. And so what we did was common sense. 
Uh, we used existing definitions. If you're a security, you're going to pass the Howey test, which is the, the securities definition. And for CFTC, uh, we already had the futures market, so we added the spot market for cryptocurrencies. And we look at each digital asset's purpose. And based on the purpose, we've uh, aligned the regulatory framework around that purpose. Already, though, there's squabbling that's continued, that's going back and forth. People saying, look, how can you regulate a decentralized uh, effort to begin with? And by the way, aren't there conditions where some of these things would be considered equities and should be regulated by the SEC? You're right. This has taken a really long time. And the industry is kind of pushing back, and others are, too, jumping in on this. I guess that gets me back to that original question, uh, Senator Gillibrand. How much support do you have? Do you think that this is something that the Senate will get behind? I do, and I think this is just day one, and our goal is to make sure this goes through the four committees of jurisdiction. It takes a long time to build a regulatory framework for a new industry. And we expect this to go through the Banking Committee, which Cynthia is on. It'll go through the Agriculture Committee, which I'm on. Uh, it will go through intelligence and it'll go through um, financial services. These committees um, will have pieces of the bill because they only regulate parts of this industry. Uh, and regulation is necessary. Uh, you need to make sure that you have consumer protections. You need basic rules of the road, and that's what this legislation provides. We think there's going to be a lot of momentum behind this bill, uh, having met with most of the industry stakeholders uh, and the experts in this field. And we're just going to work with them over time to continue to improve the bill. Who, who have you talked to, Senator Lemus, in terms of the leadership? Are they on board with this? I know you've reached out to, to both the left and the right. Where, where do you think your biggest support is coming from? We have found uh, very receptive uh, people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, we've met with the leaders of the Finance Committee. As Senator Gillibrand mentioned, there will be four committees involved in this bill. So we'll want to go through and sort out how the bill can be divided among the committees uh, and then continue to meet with all of their members, not just the chairs, but all of their members. Uh, the fact that we're on several of these committees helps. We've met uh, with uh, the chairs and ranking members of uh, all of the committees of jurisdiction. Uh, they know we're working on it. They know our approach. They know that we're trying to uh, just fit the uh, digital asset world into our current regulatory framework uh, and have a general uh, overview uh, of how uh, we're going about it. So we've had dinners, we've had breakfasts, we've had briefings, we've had meetings, we've brought in speakers, we've gone to meet with them individually. Uh, we, our staffs have met with their staffs. This has been a uh, lengthy effort on our part uh, to not only brief our colleagues, but also collect information from uh, the stakeholders. Hey, Senators, uh, two questions for you. One is, and I'm sure you saw this a little over a month ago, Fidelity, the largest 401k manager in the country, um, announced that they were going to offer uh, Bitcoin uh, to users or to consumers. Uh, companies have to choose to allow their employees to put Bitcoin in their 401ks. Uh, the Labor Department came out and said, this is a terrible idea. What do you think? I think the Labor Department's wrong. Uh, I think it's a wonderful idea. It should be part of a diversified asset allocation, and it should be on the end of the spectrum of a store of value. Obviously, if you have a fully diversified asset allocation, you have some assets that you want to produce income in the short run. You also want some assets uh, that are just a store of value. Uh, and I think that's where Bitcoin really shines. I think it's some of the hardest money that's ever been created in, in the world. 
and for that reason, it belongs as a slice of a diversified asset allocation for retirement funds. Senator Gillibrand, you agree, disagree? No, I agree. And that's why this piece of legislation is so important and why it's so timely. Uh, once you create basic infrastructure around these types of digital assets, where there are disclosure requirements, where they have a regulator, uh, where there's full transparency, that is going to create the safety and soundness in the market that will give other people comfort that this is a market that is here to stay. It's one that is uh, properly regulated and one uh, that has oversight and accountability. And that's what this legislation is going to do. So while many people are uncomfortable with where these digital assets are being used or offered today, once a regulatory framework is put around it, there will be more comfort there. Senators, and then I was going to ask you a philosophical question. Considering you're dealing with the SEC and the CFTC, there has long been chatter about whether these two agencies should actually be one, that there's too much competition between them, there's too much uh, infighting about who's going to take this and who's going to regulate that and how they're going to do it in different approaches. Some people think the competition is good. Some people think the competition is terrible. What do you think? I, I think it's our job as Congress members to create the laws and they implement the laws. And they should not be fighting over jurisdiction. That is why Cynthia and I work so hard to make thoughtful decisions about what part of these digital assets go to each regulator. Each regulator has expertise that is unique. It's important that the CFTC continue to uh, review and have oversight over commodities. Um, they're going to need more resources when this industry goes to them, which is why we have a revenue stream going into the CFTC specifically so that they can hire more experts, more cybersecurity uh, personnel uh, and more lawyers. It's important that they have the resources to do the work we are giving them to do. But the distinct um, responsibilities of the SEC and CFTC are significant. And so they have to continue to focus on their um, areas of expertise and allow these markets to flourish. And, and we spent a lot of time on the definition of the modern Howie test. In fact, we looked at every single circuit court decision that has ever referenced the Howie test to make sure that our current definition is sufficiently modern and updated so that it's going to be fairly clear between the CFTC and the SEC about which assets fall into which regulatory regime. But Senator Lummis, the SEC chairman, has been very clear that he would like to regulate a lot of these things. Has, has, has he made any comment on this about kind of losing out on things like Bitcoin and Ether? You know, we continue to meet with the regulators. Um, I think you met with him yesterday. I'm meeting with him today. And we're going to continue to work with uh, both the CFTC and the SEC uh, to make sure that we both have found uh, the right mix uh, of using the Howey test to sort out uh, which of those agencies best can regulate. So it's uh, we think that because we're using the Howey test, it'll it's going to work. It's going to come come out just fine. It just sounds and like they're still some massaging this is taking Congress place. Is, this is day one, and I think uh, this is not the day of the vote on the bill. <laughs> that will be day 100. Day one is you introduce the ideas so that the people who have responsibility to write these laws have a chance to look at it, learn about it. We can have a lot of um, roundtables and hearings about it, and we can um, mark up these bills. So each one will be taken their part that's their juris jurisdiction, and they will create their own oversight. 
That will happen over the weeks and months to come. And it is our job fundamentally for Congress to write these laws and the regulators to implement them. They don't decide what they get to keep and what they don't. We have to write that rule for them, which we're going to do. And over time, this market will become more and more stable and more and more transparent and have the kind of safety and soundness that we expect in the United States. My, my guess is you're going to face some pretty significant lobbying uh, from a lot of different parties over the next 100 days or so while you do this. Senator Gillibrand, let me ask you, um, your state, lawmakers in your state, New York, last week passed a law or, that will halt permits for new cryptocurrency mining facilities because of concerns about the environment. What, what do you think about that? So I think that is um, an oversimplification of the issue. And I think there was just an urgency to protect specifically our pristine uh, resources like the Finger Lakes, uh, because clean water is essential for many industries in New York, such as farming, such as our drinking water, such as tourism. And so that was specific to one particular miner that the entire advocacy came around. I think long term, um, there will be places that are appropriate for Bitcoin mining and places that are not. But each state can figure that out. Um, my view is I'm trying to create the regulatory framework for these digital assets with existing infrastructure uh, and let states make other decisions about what they want. We also have a New York regulator uh, who's been issuing bit licenses for a while. But that regulator is kind of doing all the work right now, and she would love to have some federal oversight as well. Senators Gillibrand and Lummis, we want to thank you for your time, and thanks for your efforts on this. It's uh, something the markets have been awaiting, so we will continue and watch and, and see where things shake out from here. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Target miscalculating freight costs, inventory demands, and supply chain pressures, and now slashing its profit margin expectations for next quarter. Shares are under pressure and they're dragging the Dow down too, but retail watcher Jan Niffen says it's short term only. We're going to have good, solid profitability because the consumer right now is still pretty darn healthy. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Now, this next story is a retail one. Target shares today are under pressure after the company warned investors of a short-term hit to profits while it clears out unwanted inventory. 
Now, for context, less than three weeks ago, retailers like Target and Walmart reported their quarterly financials and they disappointed Wall Street. Both major big box companies tripped up on inflation, which was at least expected, but also on freight prices and, most importantly today, inventory. Target CEO Brian Cornell joined our TV broadcast the morning of the report and shed some light. The challenge for us in this quarter was the back of house. From a freight and transportation standpoint, things have changed significantly from even 13 weeks ago. We did not project, I did not project the kind of significant increases we would see in freight and transportation costs. We're still gonna have some of the same challenges in the second quarter. We certainly expect those to moderate over the balance of the year as we rebalance our inventories and look at opportunities to improve efficiency. That day, Target saw its worst day on Wall Street in 35 years. Its stock fell nearly 25%. Walmart, as I mentioned, also had a rough day after reporting. Walmart's shares fell about 18% on its own inventory and inflation issues. So today, as Target deals with a miscalculation on what consumers want to buy, shifting from a COVID lifestyle to a post-pandemic one, Target slashed its profit margin expectations for the second quarter. The company will be ramping up markdowns and even canceling orders to manage excess inventory. It's pledging to control costs by working with vendors to offset inflation pressures, and it's even adding five distribution centers to its network to mitigate supply chain issues. CEO Brian Cornell is insisting, though, that it's a short-term hit. In conversations with CNBC on this news, he said he'd rather the company get in front of the problem and act decisively, kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. In the second half of the year, he expects margins to return to levels better even than pre-pandemic fall season. Here's Becky. I spoke with Brian Cornell, the CEO. He says that this is they're taking these steps now. They're trying to make very decisive moves to take the pain up front to make sure that they are prepared for the very important seasons that come in the second half of the year. You've got back to school, back to college that are very important. And then they want to be set for the holidays all the way from uh, Halloween to Thanksgiving to the holiday shopping period. That's a really important time for the retailer. So they want to clear out this excess inventory now. They say that they'll be doing things like pressuring vendors to make sure that their vendors are taking some of this pain. You may see them raising prices in other areas because they've seen a lot of demand still for areas like food and beverage, um, household essentials. They're still seeing a lot of traffic. Traffic is up in the stores and they're seeing sales that are higher too. But those operating margins are going to be the place where they're really focused on trying to work through the pain now so that they can prosper a little more in the second half of the year. If you don't think uh, someone like Brian Cornell earns his, his pay, think about what Walmart or Target has to think about inventories and what they staff. And so we go into the pandemic, totally different stuff that everybody wanted. Oh, shit. Oh, heck. I got to, okay, I got to get all this stuff. And then you get all that stuff. And then we read in the journal yesterday, then a, another really quick change for what people are, are, are buying and interested in when we come out of it. And I guess if you're a true genius and a great retailer, we'll have Jan Niffen on a little bit later, maybe you can anticipate exactly what to put on the shelves and exactly what the prices Not with the are going to be. we've seen in supply chains, which have yeah. moved down that, the And that, that complicated too. things too, but also exactly. self-inflicted, not knowing what, you know, misgaging uh, what consumers are going to be buying and, and, and interested in, and it's difficult. But the, the best operators in the business have gotten stung by this quick reversal. Right. I don't. Nobody that I know who's been in retail for decades at this point has seen the consumer shift like it has here. 
you know, you can say the same thing about the airlines and all the way through, people reacting and trying to keep up with these trends, chasing it down. And, I mean, and, I used to think that about Hot Topic. Think if I was the buyer for Hot Topic. Okay. <laughs> This is what teenagers. I'm going to put in here. Yeah, this is what I'm putting in for the summer. For the fall, I like this kind of stuff. I think nick knicker things are coming. I mean, that is an excellent point. We have all become teenagers. Consumers have the same sort of changing mentality. We're all, cons we're all teenagers at this point. We have the same attention span. Jams. <laughs> you would have went done well at Spencer's. I remember jams. I used to wear those, those jams, like three-quarter pants or something? Uh, those I used are to wear them. Back. I'm, I'm going all in. All in, all used different to wear colors. Like, it was second grade for me, but I, I used to wear them. I remember. I remember. Yeah, one of those little hats with a. I, I will say that these are aggressive. I, I, I will say that these are really aggressive steps, and they are laying them out. Also, at the end of this, it's a pretty interesting note. Um, I think they talk a little bit about how. Look, this is their best guess for where things stand right now. There are risks to this that you know things could change this is anything these risks and uncertainties include the possibility of further shifts of consumer demand away from the company's higher margin discretionary categories and the risks of uncertainties described in this so this is what we're telling you right now the company does not take any obligation it says to update any forward-looking statement but they are giving us an update three weeks later as they're heading into a board meeting today and as they're preparing to talk to wall street talk to shareholders tomorrow and I, I think this is a pretty good thing to lay out there. But it wasn't a one-quarter problem, though. Now no, we know no, that. I think we, we kind of knew that. I we kind of knew that, but yes, the operating margins are going to be more compressed than they told us three weeks ago. And really? For yeah, the second for this, quarter. Okay. They, they, three weeks ago, they said they expected operating margins to be more closely aligned with what they'd seen in the first quarter. That was closer to 5%. This is a bigger hit, but they are taking some significant steps to try and address all of this. And I think they're just getting their arms around this, looking around and really seeing a changing retail environment. This is not a story for just Target. You can't anticipate that the same thing is happening Dow. for every yeah. retailer. The Dow is now bound by 220 points. Whether you, how, how much you extrapolate from this, and I think the answer is you've got to. Joining us right now to talk about all of this and more is Jan Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Uh, Jan, what do you think of this? Is this come as a surprise to you knowing that they had this excess inventory? Well, you saw my notes yesterday. I told you retail inflation is peaking in the second quarter. Target just said, that's what's happening. They're already taking the markdowns. Walmart's taking the markdowns. They're going to clear this out in the second quarter. We're not going to see inflation go up here in the second quarter like it did in the first quarter. They didn't raise prices enough in the first quarter on all the items that were really selling. So they got hurt. Now they're also having to mark down on the items that aren't selling here in the second quarter. I'm surprised they had to do it twice because they told us the story once before. And you know, I think Target's one of the greatest retailers in the world. So I'm a little surprised they had to do it twice, but I don't think you're going to hear this twice out of Walmart. I think they've done what they needed to do. So I told you yesterday, holiday sales are going to be good. Brian Carnell's clearly saying holiday sales are going to be good. Profits are going to be solid. I believe both of those things are true. We're going to go through this pig in the python here in the second quarter. They'll get rid of the inventories. We're not going to have an excess inventory problem going forward. And we're going to have good, solid profitability because the consumer right now is still pretty darn healthy. The problem is we've got 30% more stuff in the system than we needed right at this moment. Jan, it's not just that. It's also trying to anticipate what the consumer is going to be feeling like six months from now. They, they have already put in their orders for a lot of the stuff they're anticipating for holiday. The consumer has changed taste so quickly, changed what it's willing to spend on so quickly 
that it's been really hard for these retailers to keep up, especially when you have supply chain issues that slow down deliveries in some of those issues. It looks like Target is taking a lot of steps to try and deal with that, building out some excess distribution centers, uh, making sure they build up areas right outside the ports where they can store some of these things and maybe get rid of some of those issues. But do you think that they are going to be stocked sufficiently but not too much for whatever the consumer might be feeling come the holiday season? Well, I'd rather be a luxury retailer or I'd rather be selling apparel, shoes, accessories, cosmetics, and jewelry exclusively because I've been saying, what, for three months now or maybe longer, the consumer is moving to experiences and the stuff she wants to have with her when she goes on those experiences. And that stuff is what I just said, apparel, accessories, shoes, jewelry, cosmetics. That's all been strong. All the branded product players, you know, from PVH to Capri to Tapestry to LVMH, Gucci, they're all selling well because that's what she wants to do. She wants to go out and go places and wear the stuff. And she's spending there. We didn't know when that was going to happen, but we knew it was going to happen as soon as we came through the pandemic. We've been talking about her approach to the Roaring Twenties for a year now. It's just the timing. And all that stuff that came in for Walmart and Target, a lot of it was ordered one heck of a long time ago because the supply chain has been such a problem. They'll be sorted out here in Q3 and Q4. I don't think we're going to have a problem in retail in the back half. I still think holiday sales will be good. I think profits will be good. I think we'll get through the inventory issue here. Yes, people have been up 30 or 40%, but they're moving that product through. Like you said, you just bought something 40% off. Hey, 40% off was the norm in 2019, remember? Yeah. Um, the stock this morning under some pretty significant pressure. It's down by more than 9% right now. You liked this stock um, higher than this. What, what do you think now with this sell-off, given this latest news that they've told you? It's 145 right now. Now I like it 9% better or whatever it's down. Because they're a great retailer. They're going to get this right. So is Walmart. They're going to have a good back half. They're going to have a good 2023. The consumer is still healthy. I don't think the Fed, I don't think inflation, and I don't think excess inventories in Q2 can muck that up that fast. Yes, it can muck it up, but not that fast. We're going to have a good back half here in 2022. We've got record employment, record low unemployment. We've got rising wages and total wages are keeping up with inflation. Individual wages aren't, but we've got enough people working and we've got rising participation. We're doing fine as far as the consumer writ broadly ability to spend. And they're going to keep spending. And they're still pretty price insensitive on the stuff they want. The problem we have in the second quarter is a lot of that stuff is not the same stuff they wanted when we ordered it. That's going to be all sorted out by the back end of the year because we know where the consumer is going. We already knew that. It was just hard to get the supply chain to work. And it's getting easier. As Joe said a minute ago, there are all those boats that we used to see sitting off there aren't sitting off there anymore. There's 30% of what there was. So it's working now, and it will work much better as we go through the back end. So the consumer, unless something happens, the consumer is very healthy right now. Jan, you are a brave man. Muck it up fast. Say that three times. Super yeah. fast. Yeah. Good luck with it. Jan, me. Yeah. Jan thank you. <laughs> That's the podcast for today. Thanks for tuning in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do already, thank you very much. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 